Hi, and welcome to the second episode of A Liminal Space. My name is David Fideli, and in this episode, I'm in discussion with Omer Tsuk. Omer is a scientist, a philosopher, and also my dear friend. Omer and I first met in 2006 in Italy, where he obtained his first degree in astronomy. He then completed a second degree in astrophysics in the Netherlands. After a long time on the road, he returned to Israel, where he completed his PhD in physics. Omer is currently undertaking his postdoc studies and research at Tel Aviv University in Israel, where he's now working in the Laboratory for Epidemic Modeling and Analysis. He's working with mathematical modeling and statistical analysis of epidemiological data, currently modeling and predicting the spread of the COVID-19 disease in Israel. Some of the things we discuss in this episode include how mathematical modeling and analysis is used in the global fight against COVID-19, challenges that COVID-19 poses for governments, scientists and populations around the world, scientific researchers and funding being taken away from other health research and the possible negative consequences of this, specific cultural, religious and societal challenges faced in the fight against COVID-19, the potential negative impact that lockdowns, restrictions and social distancing can have on populations around the world, and challenges faced by societies around the world as governments and security contractors begin using surveillance and tracking apps under the guise of keeping the public safe during the pandemic, and he also gives specific examples of how this is currently being done in Israel. Omer provides an extraordinary insight right from the scientific front line in the fight against the global COVID-19 pandemic, and I'm sure you won't want to miss what he has to say. And as things are moving at such a fast rate with this pandemic, I think it's important to let you know that we had this discussion on Friday the 10th of July, 2020. Make yourself comfortable as we enter a liminal space. Shalom, Omer, and welcome to a liminal space. Hey, David. How's the craziness of the world treating, treating you all in, in Israel? Uh, well, we, we are just started to, to ride the, the second wave, so, so to speak, of the, of the coronavirus epidemic. And the situation, uh, like the, you know, the politicians of Israel are bragging that Israel is doing very fine in comparison to the rest of the world at the first wave uh, in, the, in March around March, like February, March. And now things seem to deteriorate very, very fast. And so we, there is no complete uh, lockdown or, uh, but uh, things are gradually coming back there. Yeah. Um, it's a bit uh, difficult to, to know. The thing is that also there is a lot of debate around like uh, the, the Israel uh, invested a lot in um, the clinic, the checkups of um, checking people whether they do have uh, serological tests whether people are infected with the coronavirus. So right now there is also the power of those tests that gives give rise for high numbers of infected people, and. Uh, Many of them are not symptomatic, so only only a few of the people that are infected are symptomatic. So the, there is kind of debate about the level of anxiety that we should uh, hmm. experience now in Israel. But the yeah. uh, number of uh, hospitalized people is also on the rise. It's still far away from the limit 
or the like uh, red line that they posed for a dangerous number of hospitalized people say that uh, uh, and um, and also like there is some discussion regarding uh, around the question whether uh, the the people that are symptomatic actually are less severe than in the previous wave of uh, of infection um, yes yeah, so it's, it's uh, I think the numbers are something like uh, that um, each day uh, around thousand thousand people were found infected so there are like about 20,000 I think infected people in Israel and uh, and what's the population of Israel population of Israel is uh, around 10, 8 million okay and something yeah and nine million um, so you and I have known each other for some years now and you're a dear friend of mine and um, we we don't speak often enough but when we do um, we go deep into many many topics um, but there's a reason that I'd like to talk to you about this particular topic today <clears throat> excuse me and and that's because when we last spoke which was only a couple of days ago you told me about your your new position um, at one mm-hmm. of the universities there in, in Tel Aviv and um, it was immediate that I thought you know we really would love to or I'd love to hear exactly the work that you're doing um, and I think uh, it can be really interesting to get a, a an insight you know from from the inside um, so what I might do if you don't mind can you just spend a few seconds just explaining your um, academic uh, qualifications I guess to contextualize um, um, what you're about to say and, and then tell us a bit about the work that that you're doing at the moment okay so i, I grew up in uh, astronomy and physics departments i did my first degree in astronomy in italy where we met uh, and uh, then i continued to a second degree in astrophysics in in amsterdam and then i landed back on the shores of israel and did my PhD in physics uh, here in the, the University of uh, in the, the Southern University of Israel in a city called Be'er Sheva, Ben Gurion University. And uh, I finished my PhD a year ago and moved back to the to Tel Aviv and uh, and started a postdoc position. Uh, in Tel Aviv University and somewhat in a different topic in a quite a different area from the ones that I did in my uh, physics in my PhD so the the so I'm working now in the laboratory for epidemiology epidemic modeling and analysis and I'm working as more as a mathematician you'll say than than a physicist we are uh, working on mathematical modeling and uh, statistical analysis of epidemiological data. What we are trying to do is, uh, as many other labs that are into this type of um, modeling, we, we model the spread of the disease in the population, specifically naturally of Israel. 
So we have um, um, we have a model for the for the disease for the coronavirus, which is basically um, very similar to other models of epidemics. Uh, we and uh, and we have the, a model for the population of Israel, and we combine those two models to to run a simulation of the spread of the coronavirus into in the Israeli population. Wow. Um, and, and this is a relatively new position and you didn't realize that, well, can you explain, yeah, h- how you got yeah, this position? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I thought, uh, I thought I will have, uh, like, I, I wanted to, you know, to learn new skills this year and to take this year, like, after, after I finished my PhD, I thought of taking, like, a relaxed year of doing some interesting <laughs> different thing in a, in the which i thought will connect me a bit more to industrial research uh, research outside of the academy and uh, so it started only on the on november 2019 like uh, just right before like it was i think Less than two months before the first news about coronavirus started to arrive to Israel, and, and that that was probably the furthest thing from your mind when you took the job, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, the first uh, that my topic of research for this postdoc wasn't exactly epidemics, even though I was in I was in the epidemic lab. It was a bit about a different. A phenomena that is can be modeled in the same type of models, and so I started to work on the, that project, and then everyone moved, entered the corona, yeah, um, modeling, uh, yeah. Efforts. And is this? A, a, do you have um, much or any contact with other people in the same roles across research across the world? Um, many. Well, my understanding is that what you've just told me is not dissimilar to, to most other countries where researchers, including funding, research money has been taken from other um, fields or other diseases or other places of study and been put towards um, coronavirus. So is that something that, that you're familiar with across outside Israel also? So I, I'm personally, I don't know so, uh, people uh, in this uh, field, working in other places, my the head of the lab where I'm working is certainly connected to other researchers in uh, mostly in the states, but also in other areas. But we get there. There is now a surge of uh, of papers, scientific papers published everywhere about uh, those uh, the, the modeling. Only here in Israel, like almost every. I would say every university has at least one team that is working on the same topic. Hmm. From it might be from a bit different perspective, and what uh, the the real challenge in these models, maybe more than modeling. So so there are two ma- main side sides of working with such models. There is the model itself that should represent reality, and uh, 
you know, the saying is that when you model something mathematically, it should be um, uh, complicated enough to catch the, uh, the the important behaviors, but not not more complicated than it. Or you know, on the other hand, it should be simple enough, as simple as possible, uh, but not to lose the the main kind of behaviors that you want that are relevant for your study okay so the, the more complicated the mathematical model is you are able to include more and more uh, aspects of the of the disease the principles of modeling uh, of uh, modeling of such a diseases are very 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 simple it's just I, I will say in a minute what is complicated so the it's as simple as that we have just only we need to decide on categories of uh, of the stages of the disease a person can be either what's what's called like, like it's categorized as susceptible someone who hasn't got the disease at all yet uh, uh, there is incubation period people people that got in touch with infected person and got the virus but the virus is still in incubation period there is the what's called the infected, like I categorize it I-infected period. This can be either symptomatic infected or asymptomatic infected. And most of the people will be asymptomatic. It's, we also know it's, it's connected to the age. So there is, uh, it, uh, children are not, uh, have a very, very low symptomatic uh, percentage for this disease. And uh, after you, um, th then after a period of infection, which ranges from 14, like from 14 days to 21 days, we, it's something that uh, the statistics are still building, building up, uh, you are being passed to the category of recovered. Once recovered, you cannot get infected again. This is at least in the model. Uh, so the, the only thing that we need to after we define those in like in the in the jargon of the of the of epidemiology it's called compartments this co these categories are called compartments after we we define them we need to decide what are the rules to pass from one stage to another so naturally being getting infected is connected to the fact that I met someone who is infected. So what you do in this, in the type of model that we are working, we model people and uh, mathematically and you know, as a very, very simple, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of, um, it's, it's a very simple, what you'd call variable or mm -hmm. something that stores the information of that person, we only store the information naturally related to the disease. So the information is the age of the person, um, mainly it's just mostly the age, uh, but also whether the person is in risk group or not. And and then we model uh, what happens if this person meets another person who is infected. What are the chances that he will get infected also? And mm -hmm. with each kind of encounter, we flip a coin and we see whether this person got infected or not. 
Yeah. Well, sorry, what do you mean? Uh, flip a coin. This doesn't sound that scientific. We flip, what does flip this a coin. Uh, yeah, we flip a coin. Uh, uh, you know, uh, in, on a computer, we just choose a random number, take a random number, and if it's above, you know, for example, a certain number, you say this person that they in during this encounter the person got infected with the disease. Okay. Or not. Okay, and is the what's the desired outcome? Why is modeling important? Yeah, so so modeling So this is one part, like modeling the what we call the dynamics of the disease, and the other part is the calibration. What what we want to achieve with models is certain insight about the progress of the disease, whether. Um, what are the numbers of people that will get infected eventually in the population? Um, so whether you know eighty percent of the population will get infected at the, by the end of the of the wave of the disease, or will this disease die out very fast? But, so it's very it's it's kind of very delicate balance of the parameters of the characteristics of the disease, which um, influence on this uh, on this outcome. Once your model capture the right way that this this disease is spreading in the population, you can ask the question: Okay, uh, what is the chances that all of the population will get infected. This is usually quite low, but uh, the, I would say, for example, the, there are some diseases that are causing the hosts, like viruses, or uh, the, the, they are very violent. You would say that um, you know the uh, the first, the SARS one was relatively more violent virus than, the, than this coronavirus in, in sense that if you got infected, you had a higher chances to develop uh, complications. Or um, Ebola, you know, Ebola was very uh, dangerous for the people that got infected. So in some diseases, because they are, um, the, the, you have a higher chance to, to die during the period of infection, the chances that you will make other people infected, infected during this period can be, you'll be less people that, will, that you will infect, mm -hmm. uh, that you transmit this disease, and, um, and therefore the, some diseases has less potential of causing a very wide um, spread of the disease. Yeah, so, so it depends what, uh, what counts in a way. One of the important parameters in, the, in epidemics and the study is that how many people on average will get infected from an infected person. Mm -hmm. This is one of the measures to, to see what is the what would be the progress of the disease and what are you using for these i think you said the word variables um mm -hmm. are you using data from past pandemics are you using best 
not guesses. I don't know what the scientific word for. Yeah, um, best, uh, sometimes yeah, we use best estimate. Estimate, yeah. Uh, and uh, we we can use uh, we we use our knowledge of past diseases, but this can be dangerous in a way because it is, after all, a new virus. It's uh, so the the model that we used is a very common model for viral infections for epidemics uh, it's called the SIR model suspected infected recovered mm-hmm. um, it's a very standard way of modeling these types of phenomena uh, and but along with the model we have parameters the parameters are very difficult to um, estimate in, during in the first stages of the spread of the disease so you don't how do you know like if this is the first time that we encounter such a virus how do you know how many people will get infected on average per yeah. day by an infected person yeah and do you so then use a factor or do you have so i used to work in in the construction industry and we used to have when working out for example the load uh, the safe load that a crane could carry we use mm. science and mathematics and we use equations and then once we get the result we times it by a safety factor which could yeah. be a safety you know from 1 to 10 to to even more because so we look at the engineering and then we we say okay but to be really sure we have to put in this safety factor. Does this play, does this play a part in, in, in your modeling? Uh, well, it, it would have been if uh, we had uh, like a good, uh, very precise measurements of all the parameters. Right, right now, you would say that the, these models are what we called uh, qualitative modeling we it wouldn't yield a, a number that i can really go to the to to, to you know to, to say we're going to have 6175 people re- infected during this uh, it it can give you a very wide range of right the number of people uh, that you think that will will get infected and also this is very very sensitive for for the parameters uh, not not very it's depending on the modeling scheme but uh, but it can be the, the one of the problems uh, would be uh, sensitivity to parameters so you, this is what what you are d- doing is sensitivity uh, tests you see how much small changes in the parameters of the disease will give big changes to the to the outcomes to right. the results and then you give a it sounds like you then rather than specific you have a range like a best case scenario worst case scenario is that how it in a way yes okay yeah, yeah and, yeah, and, you, and can, you you make scenarios exactly you you are you we have for example the estimations of how many people are uh, at risk or how many at, at different age groups and we have different scenarios, like very bad scenario and very relatively, <laughs> yeah. relatively better scenario. Have you seen since you started 
have you seen your um, expectations or your variables or your way of looking at your modeling? Have you seen it change based on, because right at the very start you had very limited data and now the more cases yeah. and the more deaths and the more infected, what, what has been the changes, if any, over the past three or four months with the more um, testing that, that we get? Uh, yeah, the, I think the, the, the problem is uh, with scientific work, is especially when media is entering into the game, is that uh, I would say everyone, including scientists, would like his share of uh, being famous or, you know, being... Uh, um, and you see many in Israel, even in... In general, in, no, in normal times, even though we don't have much normal times in Israel, but in, uh, in relatively normal time in Israel, we say that uh, wherever you have like uh, two Israelis, you have four opinions. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, and during this, uh, you know, the, during the Corona time, it was very vivid, uh, uh, you know, example for this fact. So scholars, you know, researchers and or uh, people that were involved in epidemic epidemiology studies in the past were constantly going to the media and to the TV. Each one is giving his own view. But as long as you don't have in science, you don't have a, a, you don't show it as a theory. You you have a hypothesis and you which need to be tested. It's uh, as long as that you are just it's just your opinions, you know, once it can be your educated opinions, but yeah. uh, or or thoughts or speculations. But uh, I think that there was a lot of uh, display of uh, irresponsibility during the first stages. It was very uh, salient that um, researchers were going to be to get interviewed in the TV, in the radio, by journalists. The journalists don't really know what is what is the ethics of scientific work, and I would say that some of the ethic would be to put parentheses over everything that you say. After everything that you say, this is uh, you know this is not. I'm not sure about it. You know, we are, it's still on, we are in the process of trying to understand. Um, yeah, like if, if there is something important in science for me is uh, to be humble. Yeah. <laughs> to, be, to be able to say that you are actually, these, these are calculations based on estimations, based, based on um, some... Uh, yeah, hypothesis, and uh, every model has its own limitations, including modeling, and, and, and modeling such a complicated phenomena of spread of disease in a population, which is a heterogeneous population, there are, people are different from one another. Yeah. It would have been very easy to, to model some uh, phenomena of spreading, you know, in physics, we can model the spread of water inside sand. This can be maybe a relatively okay model 
because most yeah. most most cases of water act in a very consistent way, and we know that most cases of sand act in a, in a consistent way. So yes. we can right. And I imagine, and maybe it's a good uh, segue to. You mean you live in a very uh, interesting part of the world as well. I imagine that you that in Israel you have more than your fair share of challenges due to diverse um, nationalities, cultural groups. Yeah. Uh, also, perhaps religious views and so forth. How? how what? What do you think that? Uh, what's super interesting about sort of the scenario and, and particular to, to Israel these days? Yeah. So there the, are the so many. Israel is the land of absurdities, and uh, also here. Uh, so we right now. Um, the, there is uh, new regu- new regulations, fresh regulations uh, that um, I, I you know it's it's difficult to be to get updated like so I don't I'm not sure already this is the the situation right now but yeah. for a period uh, maybe it still uh, still exists that uh, there was like you couldn't go to pubs naturally uh, but there was. Uh, there was certain restriction of number of people going into pubs or restaurants, something that really wasn't allowing those places to operate. You know, you have you need to have a certain number of people, customers coming to a pub to make it uh, economically uh, viable. And uh, but for centers of uh, synagogues or things like like praying centers, you didn't have such a limitation right now we see that the, uh, the in terms of numbers uh, there is a there is a very high variance between cities in Israel um, this is why the focus in was in the past uh, in those past months was on the ultra orthodox cities and societies they tend to gather in very high numbers for prayings especially like spe- specific like the ultra orthodox going to and uh, there can be in the hundred like hundreds of people coming to a gathering to hear certain rabbi and uh, and this popul- this population is naturally is not they are very um, They wouldn't take orders from the state. So, if uh, ultra orthodox people have allegedly, they should, uh, uh, they are, many of them doesn't see the state as authority. They would take that the God is their authority. Having no direct connection with God, usually what's happened in the Jewish religion is that you have a certain rabbi so it's very it's uh, similarly maybe to to the catholic religion it's very hierarchical but on smaller scales there are many uh, rabbis that are gathering a lot of power a lot of uh, students around them and there are semi-gods for them. So they, they would say, so if, if it wouldn't come from the, from the rabbi, they wouldn't do it. Right. So are they... The rabbi need to say, 
go you know, stay at home. Are there, like are there separate rules then for different parts of society or is there supposed to be the same rule? It's just that some people don't accept or listen so for, to that rule. Yeah, so no, in Israel, it's very difficult to make a general rule for everyone. So also here, there was a lot of, they, they actually, because of political pressure, for example, so in Judaism, there is the, story, the, the idea of, uh, it's called the mikveh. It's a small pool that uh, you use for purification, you know, so for rituals of, uh, it's especially important for women during menstruation period if they, so they, they cannot have sex before during the uh, and after the menstruation they go to baptize themselves in those mikveh and uh, these are certainly places for high infection <laughs> it's like a small places small pools uh, where women get together and for a very long period i think it's still it's open there were they couldn't the the because of political pressure right ultra-orthodox politicians they were they were saying you know if if you're going to close those mikveh we are going out from the government and the government will fall so they kind of kept those centers of infection working they're still working and have you seen a an increase in numbers of infected in those cultural groups or in those religious groups yeah, certainly. So, and a city in uh, it's smaller city, much smaller than Tel Aviv, not much more. It's, it's uh, called Bnei Brak. It's a city where most of the most of the population is ultra orthodox, and um, the infection rates are they are like more than double than in other cities. Right. Also, Jerusalem, also certain areas of the city where ultra-Orthodox people live are very uh, having a high infection rate. We need to remember also their their families are huge in comparison to the secular people. And uh, the average number of children for ultra-Orthodox families is seven. Yeah, the average. Yeah. So you've got some... Yeah, six or seven. So you've obviously got some families with a lot more than that as well. Yeah, a family can have like fifteen children. Wow! Yeah. So how do you model? How so, do you model for that? This is one of the challenges. Yeah, the the, the high differences in wow in uh, of cultural groups in Israel. And so, what I'd like to do now is um, have a chat between Australia and Israel, um, and I'd like to mm-hmm. tell you a few things that are happening right in these days in Australia and to ask you Mm -hmm. your opinion on those and also to see if there is any equivalent um, uh, behavior in Israel or or what would happen if if the Israeli officials tried to do what what are currently being done in Australia. So we started this discussion to get two days ago and then I I said, let's let's stop it and let's save it for for the podcast. So Australia is in a very um, I would say a very unique position as far as the globe, actually. And, and, and I really believe that 
we're not fully appreciative of how unique our situation is. And it comes with two, not opposites, but we have very, very, very low number of cases and very, mm -hmm. very, very low number of deaths, which obviously is a great thing. This is, this is evidence that, well, it could be evidence that we're very lucky. It could be evidence that the fact that we're a, a, an island in the middle of the Pacific and we're able to easily close our borders. Um, mm -hmm. It could be evidence that, that we're taking advice more seriously than other countries. It could be evidence that we have the right scientists and the right modeling. Really not sure. And I'm never, I'm so far from being an expert or to have any yeah. opinion on, on this. Um, Probably it's a combination of many of those factors. Exactly. So we have a situation of very low cases, but, and what I'd just like to tell you the update from the last few days in Australia. So, or mm -hmm. right from the start, pretty much right from the start, we closed our external borders, which obviously is simple to do because we're, a, we're an island. And that meant that the only people coming back, or the only people, I'm sorry, um, taking planes to Australia are returned travellers. So basically, mm -hmm. Australian citizens, I believe a proportion, maybe a high proportion of those are double passport holders. And some of them may be coming from much more highly infected countries. Um, obviously, we have to open our doors, as we should, to every Australian citizen. So we put in place around the country um, this, it, not immediately, but we had um, a 14-day quarantine period for anyone coming back to, to Australia. And that was handled very differently by the separate states. So my state of Victoria was quite different to the other states. And we didn't use any military or other sort of, so other states were sort of using um, military and other people to, to coordinate this hotel quarantine. But in Victoria, um, I believe we're the only state that we used private um, security contractors and mm. what that has led to and, and it's a bit difficult because now there's actually an official inquiry into it so no one's actually able to to speak to it and and the answer is always well we can't talk about this because there's an inquiry and it will be it will be revealed but what it seems is a very 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 high chance that um, so in Victoria in the past week or two, we've gone from almost zero cases to the most cases that we've had since the pandemic began. Only in Victoria, mm -hmm. only in the state that used private security contractors. And there is a belief that this is a very strong link of, as to why our numbers of cases have gone up. And the the evidence is that most of these, or a high proportion of these guards weren't given the right um, training, protective equipment, and weren't distancing between the returned travelers. And then the, what has happened is that the increase in numbers has not occurred universally across the state or the city. It's actually occurred in a in a, what we call like a northwest corridor of the city of Melbourne, which 
is a, it's, it's where I'm actually living. And there's a higher proportion of migrants in this area. It's a lower socioeconomic area. Um, migrants of, of European descent and also um, Middle Eastern, Arabic um, families. And we've seen even some schools in these areas have very high numbers. And there's one school in particular where the entire all the school children, all the teachers are in under a um, compulsory quarantine period. And what has happened in Australia that I never thought could happen? Well, not that I ever thought; it's just, it's never happened. So you never realise it's a it's a possibility. Is that people are beginning to be treated differently, not <laughs> universally? So all the state borders. So my state, Victoria, has actually, the borders are now shut from the rest of Australia. So we're mm -hmm. being treated in, a, in our own quarantine zone. This Northwest lockdown, uh, suburbs were put into a, a lockdown, much stricter than the rest of the state. And then mm -hmm. five days ago, there were nine towers of public housing, commission housing, that were given no notice and they were given the most severe lockdown of all. This is um, 3,000 uh, 3, people in these towers. And they were not allowed to leave their apartment, their, their unit at all under any circumstance for five days. Um, and also these have large numbers of migrants, large numbers of refugees, asylum seekers, large numbers of mm -hmm. Aboriginal Australians and also due to, to, to the socioeconomic um, position, we have people in, in these towers that are also um, dependent on alcohol and other drugs and so forth. So it's been a very strange period over the last one or two weeks and, and I'm just trying to give you the information rather than making any sort of judgment on what's happening, even though I do have my own very strong views. Mm -hmm. um, and. So now I've told you the response. How many people do you think have died in Australia from coronavirus? <laughs> well, this is, I, I don't have any clue. Yeah. Um, to, warrant, to warrant this sort uh, of uh, restriction and lockdown, borders closed, state borders closed, people locked in their units. Yeah, would you like to guess? I, I would how many people died so australia is the population of australia is double double the size of israel that's 20, 20 approximately 28 million people yeah 20, I, don't I would say that if uh, like be, you know, taking into account the isolation of australia i would say it's probably a couple of hundred people died yeah, 106 people have died. 106. Yeah. Um, it's the, not, yeah, I already, yeah. So it's low, lower than... Uh, yeah, which is, uh, it's, a, it's an incredibly low number of people. Um, there's, less, yeah. there's been less than 10,000 total cases. Uh, there's been almost 3 million tests across the country. 106 wow. people have died. And if you look at the age group, between 40 to 50 has been one person die. Lower than 40, nobody. 50 to 60, mm -hmm. two people. 
60 to 70, 14 people, 70 to 80, 31, 80 to 90, 37, and 90 plus 21 people. So that's 84% yeah. of people that have obviously very sadly and tragically died are over the age of 70. Um, and there is a discussion, which there should be, about response as opposed to, is it proportionate? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I realize I've, I've, I've hogged the microphone for the last few minutes. Is, is there anything that immediately, what comes to, to your mind when hearing that? Well, see, I think that uh, like the fast uh, intuitive answer for what should be the policy is somewhere in between not reacting at all and like you know like in sweden and uh, exaggeration of reaction like probably in australia <laughs> and in a way you know a very like uh, economy like australia which is very the it's a very rich country can allow itself to get lockdown i guess for a period without damaging too much the economy and the welfare of people like in, in other countries you just cannot allow it uh, you know the total lockdown in, in israel it's immediately affects the like uh, the 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 israel is relative you know to many other countries the economy is good but not as good as as you know as australia or so there is a lot of uh, fragility and right now there are like one million people unemployed in israel new unemployed people it's a very high rate for the economy of israel so it would certainly the impact would be very strong maybe stronger than the disease itself are you saying then that 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 health professionals and then by extension governments would view the modeling from the like the same modeling but then they would view it in very different ways as to what their response will be based on the country that they're presiding over right yeah um you know some some countries uh the 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 amount of damage and the life that's you can potentially lose because of economical collapse can be potentially as much as the number of people that you will lose during a disease. Yeah. Um, especially for something that is, even though we know already more and more about the coronavirus, we it's still we need to remind ourselves that this is a new uh, virus that we. We know the family of the virus, but we still, I, I would be cautious of thinking that we already know enough about yeah. it. And that's a very interesting, so. um, sorry, there was two things, if you wouldn't mind me adding. The first is um, you, you threw the word Sweden in there. Um, I would love to go deeper on that topic, but let's save that for another time. Or, because I, I, I mm-hmm. think it actually is very interesting to discuss what they're doing. Um, pros and cons Um, but I want to talk about this um, 
the idea that the coronavirus is new. And I believe that because it's new, it's, it has a much higher fear factor because it's new. Right. And I believe that, so anything I say is purely my, uh, an, an uninformed, uneducated opinion, purely. But it's it's based on my my I deep I think deeply about these issues. I've travelled a lot around the world, and I'm looking in a more holistic way, like you say, because I know there's so much damage that's being done um, due to the response of the of the coronavirus. So there's also some comparisons that I I just um, searched before we we had a chat. So in Australia, 106 people have died, of which 84% are over the age of 70. Every mm -hmm. year in Australia, 1,146 people die from car accidents. Every year in Australia, or sorry, in 2018, 3,046 people died from suicide. And it was, suicide is the leading cause of death in Australia for the ages of 15 to 44. An average of between 1,500 to 3,000 deaths per year occur in Australia due to the flu. And cancer, it's estimated that 48,000 people die every year in Australia due to cancer. I know, based on what you're telling me and discussions with people that, other people that are close to me, that a lot of money is also being taken away from other form of funding for other medical and health issues, right. including cancer. And my, and I haven't touched even on, on, on mental health, but my, my huge concern is not that the coronavirus isn't real, not that the coronavirus isn't dangerous, and not that the coronavirus isn't killing people. It's that the response must be proportionate to the threat Right. when taken into account other factors such as, as I said, cancer, 48,000 deaths per year in Australia. And now we're mm -hmm. taking, we're not only taking money away from that research, we're physically taken, taking human beings and researchers away from that research. And that's why I think Sweden is, I don't think we're in a position now and we probably won't know for many years about whether these decisions taken by governments are the right or wrong decisions because yeah. we don't know the, the, the other factors. I haven't even talked about economic and, and, and mental health. Um, is there anything, yeah, that you'd like to talk on that? Yeah, it's like, I think it's indeed the, um, so it's, what comes to my mind is uh, it's a book and, um, that I was write, reading uh, from, so the, the, there's a group of, uh, I mainly know one of the scholars, the names of a scholar, he, his name is uh, Sheldon Solomon. Uh, he's a um, psychologist and philosopher, I will say, in, in the US. That, uh, and one of the um, writers of, uh, or, or researchers in the field that they called, in, uh, terror management theory and their point is that uh, we human beings are going a long way doing a lot of effort to hide 
or to deny the fact of our death, of, of the existence of death in our lives. And uh, there, there are many things from which we, we, we can die and there is something which is very certain that at a certain point we die. And uh, so, so we are, in their point of view, the, or their theory, the whole idea of a culture, a culture is a mechanism that helps human beings to convert or to their fear of death to something which can give them a context in which they can live with this fear. And so most of the time during the daily, our daily lives, we, I somehow, magic, like miraculously, I hide the fact that I can go out and die in the street out of car accidents or just stupid thing, I know, like a, a glass of coffee, of coffee will fall on my head from the second floor and I will die or so, you know, so stupid death. There is a probability but, uh, for it. So you're saying that there's a, a probability for everything and then you, yes, you assess it. Yeah. And I, I constantly hide this. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, uh, yeah, negating this presence of this fear, this uh, risk factor in my life on a daily basis. But once you have a machinery like the media, which is a new thing. I think this is the new cult, new factor in the this epidemic. It's it has been in in the past, but this is the most like never in the world history in human history there was such a famous virus that everyone in the corner of the world know to say corona. You know, nowadays there was the Spanish flu in the, you know nineteen seventeen, I think. Yeah. Uh, which was uh, like a widespread epidemic in, in Europe. Most of the p people in Europe didn't know of its existence. We know mainly in retrospective, many people died of it. But uh, the coronavirus is certainly, uh, it's, it's also, as you say, it's like it's a real virus, it's a real epidemic. But it's also, in, there is a parallel um, the happening, which is the spread of the notion of or, or the awareness of the possibility of death, which drives people crazy, you know, drives and uh, and, and uh, just the, just the sure like this. Rem it's remind us that yeah, we you can die. Actually, you can die. You know, <laughs> you go to your, you go to job every day. You do your business, you know, you bring children to the world, but you can die. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the coronavirus is like an, an alarm call yeah. for, for this. Well, we're being told 20, it's, it's, it's a 24 hour alarm call. I mean, you, you, you can't be on the Internet. I don't have television myself, but I know it's almost a 24 hour, you know, coverage. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, what 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 gets me from the Australian um, press and I don't know how it is with other I, I read an online newspaper and you click in the morning and it's like there's a summary right at the very like the first thing you see is exactly. number of dead number of new cases and these yeah. newspapers I don't know how they did it I never authorized them I get daily emails in my inbox from the newspapers with coronavirus <laughs> updates um, I'm not saying coronavirus is not serious. I'm not saying we need to take 
a lot of precaution. But the response compared to those, uh, no one's ever emailed me telling me that 48,000 people die of cancer and I should go and get myself checked. Like zero response, yeah. zero in the newspaper. I'm not getting text messages. In Australia, I'm getting text messages from my government. I'm getting text messages from my telephone provider. We had something called, a, we, we have, I'm sorry, a COVID safe app. I don't know if this exists in Israel, but the, yeah. okay, the Australian government um, attempted to convince the Australian public that this was the way that, to keep us safe. And they said they needed 40% of the citizens to download this, this app. I haven't followed it closely, but I believe that around 20% of um, citizens downloaded the app. We were told by our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, that we should consider it as just sunscreen, that everyone should download this <laughs> app and it just protects us. We need this protection. And my understanding is there's either been zero or no uh, no, I can't. There has been very, this, this app has been not very highly utilized as a, as a successful tool to um, suppress the virus. And mm -hmm. what it relies on apparently is you need to be close to somebody for a certain period of time. You need your Bluetooth on and you need the other person's Bluetooth to be on and it, it, it's to track close close contacts um, yeah. and it, 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 it wasn't as widely taken up as we were told that it needed to be um, and it hasn't been as successful as we're told that it has but for me it's a, it's a step closer to just making things that were unthinkable only a few years ago a reality. It's, we're being told that it's not going to be used for tracking and I'm not saying it is going to be used for tracking but it's a bit closer to the next step, which is electronics using yeah. us for tracking by governments. Um, and yeah, so in Israel, it's already... Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's... In that's Israel, exactly. it already exists. Yeah, it's... Uh, so Israel is... Uh, like details such as human rights in Israel are just, you know, minority, like minuscule considerations. And, and um, the secret service or the security service, or the national security service, like the parallel of the FBI in the States, uh, like it's called the Shabak in Israel, uh, we, like it was uh, started to uh, follow people, like using special apps that you actually you don't know that they install on your phone. It's, uh, yeah, they enter your phone. There are companies, private companies, especially one which is famous in Israel, that is able to access the phone of everyone in the world and put, put, a, put an app, a local app, their app, we can track your activity, including everything. They have, once they tap into your phone, and uh, the, the way that I understand they are doing it is by, it's mostly by clicking, that you click on advertisements. Some of the advertisements might have and uh, these viruses, this uh, uh, electronic uh, viruses, and once they, it's on your phone, they can access all of your information. And uh, the Israeli security service hired their, their 
service. And is this something and that's now? Is this public? Is this something that people like? Is this the official statement from the government, yeah. or is this just yeah. being done? In, it's right. Yeah, there was a discussion on the government without citizens having a saying about it, whether this security service should do it or not. We know that till they will not get a, like a like a certain no from the government, they will continue in doing it, and. Uh, so some people got get messages from numbers from allegedly like it's it's it says that it, this is the like uh, from uh, you got we identified that you got in contact with someone who was infected even though they didn't install anything on their wow. phone. Yeah. So and you are you need to be to quarantine yourself in the in. Uh, yeah, in your and, house. And and let's. I just wanted to clarify one thing. Clarify two things. The first is, <clears throat> I'm not saying at all, because we're being told that this COVID Safe app does not track you at all. We're told that it has zero tracking capability. And mm-hmm. unless I'm unless someone demonstrates to me otherwise, I must, for the time being, take that on face value. So I'm not. I'm not. Having, I'm not saying that the Australian government is lying to us. I'm not saying that it's being <laughs> that we're being tracked. What I am saying is that it's a step closer to an app that does track. And once something is right. made part of your daily, once something is normalised, it's so much easier to just go to the next step, the next step, the next step. And before you know it, we're at a stage where we could not have considered that that was even a possibility some some years ago. And the second is to be clear to those that are watching and listening this, you are a very rational, scientific guy. You are not a conspiracy theorist. You're not someone that, I mean, what you're telling me is, is I know you, um, but I think it's important because there are so many crazy conspiracy theories out there. But what, what you're telling me... You're right. No, this t- is uh, out on the on the Israeli newspapers. It's a debate that happens on the Israeli newspapers whether the Shabak uh, should do it or not. Right now, he, he like allegedly he didn't say he, he didn't get a no from the government, so they are doing it for the benefit of uh, of the Israeli population, you know. But it's like uh, they are taking their um, yeah the decisions for many people without uh, having the so and also the the company that is doing it it's quite it's a public company it's a it's a company which was it's 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 one of the one of the in the series of horrible things that uh, israeli companies are doing so they this company was selling this app for regimes you know, the, uh, like authoritarian regimes throughout the world to track their citizens, and now it's it's used on us in uh, wow. on the Israelis. Um, and does it, yeah, it's, I have a curious question? You obviously come mm-hmm. from a part of the world where we have Israel, we have Palestine, Palestinian territories. Does your research cover the Palestinian? territories your data your um i'm sorry if that's a naive question but but is that 
it's, you obviously know you come from a very complicated part of the world, which, which a lot of us don't really, comp, you know, difficult to comprehend. For these parts of your modeling and your discussions and so forth, does this cross borders across into the occupied territories? Uh, it certainly cross can cross. It, it does. You know, we know it's 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 crossing borders if there are people who are uh, going across the borders. Um, right now, be, uh, because the, there is a border with uh, Palestinian territories, um, the at which the the amount of people that crossing that are crossing the borders are. Uh, uh, limited during this uh, yeah. during this period, uh, so so for now we don't in the mo in in uh, the models we don't uh, uh, yeah, refer to the Palestinian as another population because there is also we we treat it as general uh, immigration. Right, but sorry, uh, do you do you do you class the citizens the the. In, in these do you class the Palestinian citizens? Are they part of your statistics and modeling and so forth? No, we we, we model for now only the like. Uh, wow. You would say the population of Israel. Yeah, but uh, so the Palestinian uh, are aggregated as all of the other immigration to Israel. Um, yeah, it's it's a model. It's it's a modeling choice. It's uh, yeah, right. Actually, the situation in Palestine in the Palestinian territories, for now, it's less severe than in Israel itself. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, because I would have thought that could have been a hotspot by definition, because it sort of is walled in and people can't um, can't leave. But it hasn't. It hasn't been that case. Yeah, but on the other other way, there, yeah, for good and for bad. But especially, and most of the time, it's for bad. But their borders are very, um, like are controlled. Uh, the borders with the Gaza to the Gaza Strip. Yeah, the borders are in. Uh, they're in. You know, as you know my opinion about it, but they are in consistent you know yeah. constant quarantine yeah uh, since many years yeah already the gaza strip especially so also the number of people that that were infected that entered the palestinian territories was far less than the amount of people that got into yeah israel so I, actually they will be in risk of getting high infection if more people yes will enter Israel, and most of the Palestinians get some of them get uh, permission to work inside Israel, and so they cross borders, and in the last period, uh, those uh, permissions were blocked for periods. Right. So yeah, and, and do now they they open, but they they reopen this permission. Some of the permissions. Yeah. To work in Israel, and um, again, it, it, this posed them at a risk of bringing back to their cities and villages yeah. the coronavirus. So, I mean, in some way, I don't know how you feel. Maybe because I, 
you know, the last seven years, you know, the work that I've been doing is primarily about borders and freedom of movement and so forth. And um, what's happening today with Corona is also very, very interesting to me in relation to, to this because I've, I had this naive feeling or thought that mm-hmm. I was Australian. Not that I'm nationalist at all, but in the sense of my identity, I was born in Australia. And now I realize that very, very quickly um, that identity can change by closing of borders. So I, our state of Victoria is in many ways cut off from the rest of it. Well, not in many ways. It's 100% cut off from the rest of Australia. So we are also in our mm-hmm. own quarantine period. But this, I find this really, really challenging for me because now I'm being told that I need to identify as a Victorian. But for me, that, that has no relevance. Mm-hmm. And, and, and every time that there are more localized restrictions, um, I don't use the word discrimination in the sense of racial or, or cultural, but just discrimination. Some rules for others, different to, some rules for some and, and other rules for others. So... I, what I didn't tell you, that as of two nights ago, me, myself, um, and everyone in Melbourne and the, 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 the slightly surrounding area, we're in another enforced lockdown for the next six weeks. So nobody in Melbourne can leave their place of residence um, for any reason other than, well, there are four reasons, and that's essential work if you can't work from home, study, essential shopping and exercise. And that's the, that's the, the situation that, that now everybody in, in Melbourne is, is facing. And that's, I'd just like to maybe we've been, this is such an interesting discussion. I thank you so much for taking us down all of these, uh, these avenues. Um, the thing that I believe isn't being addressed in my country at all is any sort of longer term way out because we've isolated mm. ourselves from the rest of the country and we've been told by Qantas, our large airline here, that it will be at least until July 2021 until any form of international travel is open both for people leaving Australia and for people wanting to come to Australia. So we're being told it's going to be at least 12 months that this big chunk of dirt in the Pacific is going to be isolated from the rest of the world. And that includes trade, that includes um, people that have family abroad, that includes, you know, anything, no exceptions. And we haven't been told how we get out of this. What's the end? What's the end goal? However, each day now, it's getting more obvious that we are waiting for a vaccine. That, right. That, and I'm just hearing our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, say that only in the last couple of days where I haven't heard him really before. And so it's sounding like we're isolating ourselves from the rest of the world until a vaccine is found and then my belief would be once that vaccine is found it would be made compulsory to have that vaccine to leave australia or for people coming to australia 
Right. And that vaccine can be used in many other ways as well, even though we're, we don't believe that it would be made compulsory, uh, as in compulsory vaccination for every citizen. But there are ways of almost making it compulsory, even if you don't make it compulsory. For example, it can be a condition of your workplace. It can be a condition to travel like we're talking yeah. about. It can be a condition of just entering into a public space. So it may be that vaccinations aren't compulsory, but in the end, if you want to actually live life as a free human, we may be required to take that up. Um, can you talk to that at all? Yeah, I think that most of the right now, the because, so, you know, that the, because it's a, again, a, a new virus, we, we have some, you know, speculations or we, we have an, a virus from that family and most of the infectious viruses that we know of, probably all of them, the body, after you get infected and recovered, you are resistant to another infection for a period until there is a new mutation of, of this virus, which can uh, surpass your defense system. Uh, so one of the strategies is building on what's called like herd, herd um, immunity resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, such that, um, yeah, if, if enough people are get are recovered then this, the, and cannot get infected anymore, then the in, new infections become less and less till there are, are too few to continue the chain of infections. And uh, so this is one, one thing that, that happened in most of the world history for epidemics. There was no vaccination for the Black Plague. And just many people died. Uh, the, the population of the whole Europe uh, got uh, sh shrinked because of uh, so many deaths. Um, and then the disease stopped, like most of the people will, are uh, resistant to, uh, are immune to this uh, specific virus or bacteria. And right now we, we can assess that the coronavirus virus is not different from any other, the specific coronavirus is not different from any other coronavirus that we have met, such that if you get, if you are recovered from infection, you have a very long period in which you are uh, immune but we need to, to leave the chance that this is not the case in a way. It can be that uh, the period in which you are immune is very short and or that the um, mutation rate of the coronavirus, we know it's slow in comparison to other viruses, but maybe it's fast enough such that within a matter of few months you have a new virus that is uh, that no one is immune to yeah uh, so i think there there is a lot of uncertainty here in both directions yeah. because it can and also regarding the 
the vaccination, we, we have an estimation maybe or hopes when it will be ready and clinically tested, but we are not sure about it yeah. like, until we, we get it. So it can be indeed a matter of, uh, I, I think that the best estimates are a period of one year. Yeah. But at the um, minimum, I, my understanding is the minimum of one year based on, yeah, it's a minimum on other vaccinations. Yeah, and, and so we, with, without a certain, but, okay, my, my optimism in a way lies in the fact that, so, so I'm very pessimistic about the way this epidemic is used politically in Israel. Uh, as always, risk factors or like, you know, common, common kind of enemy or whatever, or like uh, uh, when, when the population is, when you're, the citizens are afraid, it's a good, uh, con uh, these, these are good conditions to retract, to squeeze the rights sure. and to withdraw from liberal democracy, which is already very fragile in Israel. And, and so this period is indeed, as in Israel, it's, uh, we see it, the, the rise of authoritarianism in the government and new laws which restrict the operation or give more um, um, yeah, more um, ways to the government to control the lives of the citizens and um, under the under the guise of under the guise of keeping people safe, keeping keeping exactly yeah citizens so safe. This is what I'm afraid of. But what I think about the disease itself, I think that it's certain that we are in a very different position uh, about this disease from previous one and we we all look forward to a vaccination which will be the a, certainly a solution one of the uh, possible solution but i think that we might surprise ourselves with new solutions mm -hmm. in the next months uh, what I, don't know, I certainly think that there is this possibility of what that, uh, what 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 for example what what uh... so so, so I'm, I'm not a biologist or a, I, I'm, I'm not an expert in medicine, but... Um, You're much closer to talk um, to these things than I am, so I'm very happy to, uh, to hear from you. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it can be as, the, as we treated maybe the, the AIDS. We, we didn't find a, a cure or vaccination to, to, to AIDS, but there is a cocktail of of uh, medicines that you are taking and that, that virtually um, make the AIDS as insignificant in a way and, uh, and reduces the, the risks of developing complications in a, in, to a very high degree. So maybe we'll, there, there will be such a development of antiviral mixture of drugs that you can take and that virtually um, reduces the factor of, uh, of 
in of developing complications in a, to a very high degree mm. and this can be one solution that will be maybe more um, that we might achieve faster than getting the fascination itself and maybe it can be even more efficient so, yeah. um, I think the um, the thing that is very unique to not just this virus but to the time to it's 2020 it's a far more connected world than than when AIDS epidemic hit and um, right. I've seen so many people compare, I'm not saying it's right and I'm not saying it's wrong, you know, compare today with the Spanish flu and with the AIDS virus, but you know, everything is just accelerating at such a rate that um, I think you're right. There's, of course we need to, for the sake of your modeling and for, for, for starting points, you know, refer back to other experiences, but you're most probably right. The way out is probably something that hasn't been even thought of yet. Yeah. Um, and the it, it sort of what I'd like to do, if that's all right, is maybe have a second part of this discussion in some weeks or months or when you have some time to to not focus so much on the on the virus and the modeling side of it, but to have a chat to you more on a which is what you and I do at length generally, which is on a sort of a cultural and philosophical level uh, about what it means. Um, what some of these responses are doing to human behavior. Um, for example, mm -hmm. you know, I just listened this morning to the press conference of my, our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, and he kept saying over and over again, social distancing is not something that's here for the short term or the medium term, but it's for the long term. And he's saying words like, that means no kissing, no hugging, no um, touching, um, one and a half meters distance. Wow. And I, 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 I get it. I get that this is the biggest risk of how the disease is spread. I'm not saying it's not, but let's just put this idea out there and then we can stop this chat today and, and, and uh, come <laughs> back to it. What does this mean for societies what does it mean for kids what does it mean for me what does it mean for relationships what does it mean for human beings who one of our great needs is connectivity being close to people right. touching people by de by definition that is almost what it means to be a human being and yeah. I think that these are some of the things that, you know, we mentioned it's so easy to dismiss countries such as Sweden and to just look at their death rate. But we don't know in one generation the effect that all of these decisions are happening, happening, uh, are having, I'm sorry, on the citizens of, of all the different countries. Um, I had a, a friend of mine, his daughter was with me last week and we were having a chat and she's 10 years old. And I said, oh, how? she's just gone back to school. And I said, how does it feel going back to school? What are you, what are you t doing at, at lunchtime? And she says, oh, we just sit around all day and we talk about corona. This is a 10-year-old, mm -hmm. you know. When I was 10, I was playing, I was running around and throwing a ball and, and you know, wasn't engaged in these sorts of thinking, you know, thinking. And I'm just really worried 
about the, 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 the other effects, whether that be yeah. cultural, social, and mental, you know, mental health. Yeah, yeah and I, uh, it was right at the beginning of the, of the spread of the corona, like in February that we drove, that the corona was already being spoken of in Israel. I was driving with my sister and, and my niece, her daughter, and uh, she was she's like four she she was four years old she's she was actually before just got four years old and it, we were in the car she was in the rear seat in her like a baby's seat or and she was and she sneezed or something she or her she and she was saying she was she sneezed and she said i got the corona you know and we were like two of us like what yeah wow <laughs> She is four years old. Yeah, and she already kind of Sp- uh, uh, captured that. Uh, I mean, children are sponges. Absolutely, we don't know what they're really yeah. taking, uh, taking, uh, taking in. So we should uh, we should hold that for the next conversation. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, this has been yes. uh, this has been amazing, um, and yeah, thanks for making yourself available to. I'm sure anyone that listens to this is going to find that. Um, totally fascinating and what I what I've done what I've tried to do with my filmmaking what I'm trying to do with this podcast is to to if people engage in this and watch and listen I actually hope that they have many more questions than they do answers as a result Mm. Um, and I don't think that's anything negative I think that's what a good society does it offers expert advice, it opens debate, it offers discussion, and then it allows people to, you know, independently take the information and, and make assessments for themselves. And um, yeah, thanks for contributing in that amazing way. Thank you. So uh, have a good Thank day you. and uh, thanks again. We'll see you for the next one. Yeah. Okay. Ciao, ciao. Bye bye. Ciao.